Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. Wow, you know what I'm talking about. Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer, after more than a year of on-again, off-again negotiations, seemingly more off than on, they've put together a deal on a reconciliation bill. They've pulled a rabbit out of the hat at the last possible moment. Now, it may be a skinny rabbit, maybe a baby bunny, but there it is. It's there. And if you listened to us last week, we were clear that this process was not over until it was over. And we used that same phrase, that Democrats could still pull a rabbit out of their collective hat. But just because you know a magician on stage is about to perform a trick, well, it doesn't leave you any less odd when they actually successfully perform it. So the last week has now yielded us the Inflation Reduction Act. And that, of course, requires our attention this week. To discuss how we got here, but maybe more importantly, what happens next, we have our friends with us and our Senate veterans, Jennifer Gray and Jen Acuna, to tell us what we can expect. So welcome. And my first question is going to be for you, Jen. So we're going to look forward here, what to expect next. But we have to start with, how did we get here? What happened in the last week to get us to this point? Well, where do I start? Um, as you mentioned, everyone was surprised by this, except for two key parties, you know, Senator Schumer and Senator Manchin. But remember, the negotiations had been heating up between Senator Schumer and Manchin over the last few weeks. But famously, mid-July, when the new CPI numbers came out, clocking inflation at 9.1%, Senator Manchin went on a local radio show and said, we need to press pause on this. I'm concerned about the bill. I've been negotiating in good faith, but let's see what happens with the CPI numbers, the inflation indicators next month. He wanted to see how it would affect inflation for the month of July. And those numbers would have been released or will be released mid-August. Fast forward to last week. There had been this back and forth between Senator McConnell and Senate Republicans and Democrats with respect to the CHIPS bill. And that's that China competition bill, but it was more narrowly focused to the semiconductor industry. Bipartisan vehicle, and there had been this back and forth about whether or not if reconciliation is alive, then Republicans were going to withhold, or at least that was the theory, they were gonna withhold their vote on the CHIPS bill, that it was one or the other. And after Senator Manchin made those remarks on the heels of the CPI number coming out, they said, okay, it looks like reconciliation is dead. We're going to go ahead and move with the CHIPS bill. And sure enough, last week on Wednesday, CHIPS passed on a bipartisan basis and moved through the Senate. However, hours later, Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer announced a deal, not a deal among all members, but a deal amongst themselves, on a reconciliation package, a skinnied down version of the Build Back Better Act. And that's where we are. You know, they announced that they had reached a deal. Senator Manchin noted that he had been assured that this would be a inflation reducing bill. They, in fact, they renamed it. They coined it the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. And here we are. The deal has been announced. And now it's just going to be a matter of what can get the votes. Can the deal that was hashed out by Senator Manchin, Senator Schumer, get unanimity in the Senate and pass through the chamber? And it's only been a few days. The one holdout is Senator Sinema. We have not heard 
yet her position with respect to the bill. And now here we are, August 1st, Monday morning. The Senate, remember the calendar, they were supposed to go on recess at the end of this week. But sure enough, they did pull that rabbit out of the hat with respect to a deal. And we'll see how that progresses this week. It's going to be interesting. So on the calendar, the House is already gone. It's just the Senate that's scheduled to be in this week. Now, you mentioned the timing. Purely coincidental, right, Jen, that we've got the bipartisan support for the CHIPS Act. And just a few hours later, Manchin and Schumer declare that they've reached a deal on a reconciliation bill. Is that purely coincidental in your mind? Or do you think this may have been part of a broader strategy? Well, it is quite the coincidence. Typically, things on the Hill, while, you know, coincidence does factor into them, usually things are pretty well-timed and calibrated uh, in order to exert maximum legislative leverage. So I guess it's technically possible that it was coincidental, but I think we know better than that. (laughs) I'm going to go on the limb and say not a coincidence. (laughs) You know, because the question we're getting over and over is, how is this possible? How is it that everybody was caught flat-footed? And not just the army of people on K Street, on the Hill, And not just Republicans, Democrats did not see this coming. They were reading about it and hearing about it. At the same moment, we all were. And the answer to that is secrecy was actually a necessary element to the deal. Because if anybody had known outside of Schumer and Manchin and had gotten to Republicans, then chips would not have passed. As you said, McConnell was pretty clear. No chips as long as reconciliation is in play. So you may say, well, it's quite impressive that Democrats pulled off this agreement here at the last hour. I would say equally impressive is that they were able to keep a lid on it. No one knew until everyone knew when chips had already gone. Fascinating how that all unfolded. And I would argue well done by Senate Democratic leadership to put all those things in sequence and make it work. All right. So that's how we got here. Fascinating. And people will be talking about this, you know, the events of the last week, I think for some time in terms of Senate maneuvering. But Jennifer, the real important question is, where do we go next? Right? Because people listening and they say, okay, well, that's nice. This is how we got here. But I want to know, is this thing going to pass? When's it going to pass? What's going to happen? So we are now in the clutches of arcane Senate procedure. So can you help us understand what steps now need to occur over the next week or week plus for this to actually happen? Well, theoretically, this could happen pretty quickly. I actually went back and looked at the last reconciliation bill that was enacted, which was the American Rescue Plan back in March of 21. And that bill went from the very first consideration in the Senate to being signed by President Biden in exactly seven days. So theoretically, this could happen pretty quickly. You know, that's largely because reconciliation, as you mentioned, is a special budget procedure. And there are a lot of rules that relate to that. One is there's limited debate time. It's privileged, so you can go right to the bill and then skip some of the steps you sometimes have to do to get to other bills. And so you can move through it theoretically pretty quickly once the decision is made to get to it. A lot of the questions I have are with regard to how quickly this can happen are, one, they're going to have to work with the parliamentarian because This is this arcane budget process. The parliamentarian has a lot of rulings to make on whether or not different portions of it comply with the relevant budget rules or not and can stay in the bill. And that is 
often a major issue. You may recall a minimum wage provision was knocked out of a previous reconciliation bill because it did not comply with the budget rules. So that could be a big thing. You know, we have some senators who are sick. COVID seems to be going around, particularly through the Democratic caucus right now. Last I counted, we had, what, maybe three? Does that sound right? About three senators with COVID. So that could be interesting to see what happens with the next week or so as far as what senators may be able to actually be on the floor to vote for the bill. And then, of course, there's the big question of whether or not there are 50 senators willing to support the bill. And of course, all eyes are on Senator Sinema from that perspective. If you all haven't followed the news, Senator Leahy has also had two hip surgeries in the last month to six weeks, has not yet been back on the floor since those. And so that's another question. Yeah, and unlike the recent rule changes in the House where they're allowed to vote via proxy, in the Senate, the senator has to physically be on the floor. So there have been situations in the past where literal hospital beds have been wheeled in. So it could be quite dramatic depending on what happens if this bill moves forward. Wow. You're ready for an eventful week. So coming back to then the process, Jennifer, you said you tracked the way the last reconciliation bill went, ARPA, which was done in March, I think, of last year. Tell me again, how many votes are required between beginning and end of that process? What did you track then? Well, theoretically, only a couple. There's a motion to proceed to actually get on the bill and then debate the bill and then Theoretically, if there were no amendments, there would just be final passage. Of course, it doesn't work that way. There are often a lot of amendment votes and attempts by the minority to slow the bill down, various procedural motions being made to recommit the bill for reconsideration by committee, et cetera. But look through last March, there were 35 roll call votes. And if I recall, I believe the votorama, which is the process at the end where you have a lot of amendment votes. I believe the Votorama last time went all night long, and I think Jen and I have both suffered through numerous Votoramas. <laughs> they are not fun. And remember, the senators aren't always the youngest and most spry of individuals. So about four o'clock in the morning, you have some grumpy people. 35 roll calls. Does that mean or not mean that you would require, you talked about some of those senators that may have COVID or Senator Leahy may be laid up in a hospital bed, that those individuals would have to somehow vote 35 times in the next week if that same process held? Or you're saying that a lot of those are clumped together, so you're voting multiple, multiple times at a time, so they wouldn't have to wheel, for example, Senator Leahy's hospital bed onto the floor 35 times? Well, they're close together. If we have the Votorama, then generally those votes can be, say, five, 10 minutes apart, so you would have a number of those. But again, that's still, even though they're five or 10 minutes apart, with 35 of those, that can still stretch for many, many hours. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying is this is going to be a long week. We're going to hear lots of Senate procedural stuff if you're following this. Get ready for a series of votes, a series of steps in between votes that we're all going to have to watch. And it's going to take some time for this to get done. And it's not going to just put this on the floor today and vote on it and it'll be done. This is going to be a long process over the next week plus. All right, Jen, back to you. Jennifer mentioned Votorama. We can't move on without spending a little more time on Votorama. One of the most fascinating events in Washington. Can you remind us exactly what Votorama is? Votorama is where you have an unlimited, because remember, this is a reconciliation bill. So there is an unlimited ability to offer amendments. Of course, they are relatively time restricted. However, as long as the amendment is germane, it's pretty much a go. So members are going to be, especially, I mean, the way it typically works is you're going to have members raising amendments on the floor that will be subject to an up or down vote. They also 
will be subject to potential points of order for reconciliation, the burned points of order. So they would have to meet a number of hurdles in order to actually make it in the bill. But even after the voterama, you can have maybe some amendments do make it, they do survive. At the end of the process, usually the manager of the bill can strip out all of those amendments that survived during the voterama and reintroduce the bill. It's called a wraparound amendment where you have the bill pretty much, it's like a perfecting amendment where you have the bill revert to its original state. So, so it's, go, a, it's, a, it's a nail biter. So let's go back to the amendments and this whole question of germaneness. So you can't offer something completely unrelated to the bill as an amendment because it, it would say uh, amendment is not in order because it is not germane to the bill. But having said that, because we have tax provisions, we haven't even talked about this yet, tax provisions in this bill, you've got some in the healthcare area, in particular, the ones most notably are the revenue raising provisions, the book minimum tax and carried interest in here as revenue raisers, plus the IRS funding. We did a whole episode on that, how that air quoting raises revenue as well. In particular, on the first two, because we are amending the internal revenue code inside the bill, is it then safe to say that any amendment on taxes in order would be deemed germane? Is that fair? Well, not just that. I mean, to get really into the weeds on some of the Senate procedure here, this reconciliation bill, the instruction for it was that the bill was supposed to go to a number of committees and they were supposed to report out their portions of the legislation for our interest finance committee report out their legislation. That did not happen. This bill is basically written by leadership, by Manchin and Schumer in this case. And so because they did not have that procedural aspect of going through committee, my understanding is that means that anything within the jurisdiction of any of the committees that received instruction are considered germane. So the germaneness wow. rules are much, much broader than normally is the case under reconciliation, which means there are going to be a lot more amendments that theoretically will be in order and could be voted on that voterama. So we may look back in a week or two at that 35 vote from the last one and, <laughs> and think that's child's play. Who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so then on tax, look, something we are all tracking, and I suspect almost everybody listening is aware of and maybe tracking as well as Section 174, restoring the deductibility of those r costs that started to be capitalized on January 1st of this year, something people think largely Congress will get done. Hard to imagine somebody, one of the 100 senators, Republican or Democratic, is not going to offer 174, restoring the deductibility of those costs as an amendment. Put aside the process and whether or not people will vote for it, et cetera. That would be in order, correct? We think, I mean, we're not the parliamentarian, but can anybody think of a reason why it might not? Certainly should be in order. It, it would definitely be germane. The issue would be whether or not it affects the revenue. Like if it's a repeal that mm -hmm. isn't expired within the 10-year window, if it impacts revenue outside of the 10-year window, and then it would be subject to a point of order. Although they could, theoretically, uh, the author of such an amendment could pair it with another tax increase or spending reduction or something that equals that out that could save it from that point of order. Is that right, Jen? That's right. You can pair it or you can just make it temporary. Yeah. Right. Then Good it point, right. Sunset it right. your window and you take yeah. care of the problem. Right. Just do what was done in Build Back Better, if you all remember Build Back Better, had it only for four years. And I'm sure that they designed it that way to make sure that it did not have revenue effect. It was not problematic in reconciliation outside the window. Okay. So, Jennifer, just let's come back to Votorama again. So, Jen sort of mentioned, okay, we go through this process. It's going to go, you both said, it's probably going to go all night. I think 
Republicans are pretty fired up on this one. They're not going to let this go easily. They're going to offer amendment after amendment. Democrats will likely offer amendments. When we get through all that, let's just say somebody offers 174 and it receives the required 51 votes. All 50 Republicans vote for it and maybe one Democrat votes for it. So now it's in the bill or is it? Because Jen then talked about, well, at the end, there's this whole thing with the wraparound amendment. Talk to us about just because an amendment is accepted in the Voterama doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stick. Is that right? Well, it's in the bill unless it is taken out. And to be taken out, it would have to be taken out by another amendment. And that amendment would have to be either voted on and agreed to, or it would have to be accepted by unanimous consent. So theoretically, say there was a Republican amendment on 174 or another issue, and a couple of Democrats voted for that, and so it passed. In order for it to come out of the final bill, more than likely those same Democratic senators who supported it would have to then support an amendment that took it out. Vote for it before you vote against it type situation. Mm -hmm. So that amendment might be, though, the manager's amendment at the end, Schumer's, where Schumer's going to say, okay, it's been fun. You know, we did this Voterama for 36 hours, whatever it's going to be. I'm glad you all got your opportunity to vote on these things. But here's my new amendment that basically says all that stuff's out. And the question is, would the removal of, say, 174 or anything else turn any of those previously yes votes from a Democratic senator into a no on the whole bill. Is that right? So let's just say, theoretically, one Democratic senator voted for 174. Schumer comes along, strips it out, manages the amendment. Here you go. Here's the new bill. This is the one we're voting on. We're going to final passage. I've taken out 174. That Democratic senator who voted to include it would have to decide, well, does this now turn me from a yes on the bill to a no on the bill. Usually the answer on that, Jennifer, is no, right? Like you, you made your point, you like 174, but you're not gonna let it sink the bill. Is that kind of the way it normally goes? Well, but certainly assume so. But of course, there's some interesting personalities involved here, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, this, you know, it's going to be quite a week, folks. I know it's August and everybody's ready to get on with, I certainly know I am, but it doesn't matter because this week is going to be full of drama. And as Jen said, we still have not yet heard from Senator Cinema. She could, in the end, just end this instantly by saying, I oppose the bill. But she hasn't said anything yet. And so, you know, we're going to have to see what she says. And then we will then go through this process with all these miniature dramas yet to unfold over the course of the week. Okay, so last question for both of you. Start with you, Jen. What's your guess? How long is this going to take? You said the Senate's supposed to leave on Friday. Are they canceling their plane tickets? What do you think? I think they're canceling their plane tickets. I mean, that's my guess. We haven't heard from cinema. And before any of this procedure that we've been talking about on the Senate floor can begin, it has to go through what's called the birdbath, where you have to have that pre-negotiation with the parliamentarian on the various points of order with respect to the bill. And that's where Senate Republicans and Democrats sit down and they have a mini litigation with respect to the bill and which pieces remain in and which pieces get knocked out. It's called the birdbath. That has just begun in the Senate. That usually takes time. And I would think it's going to take at least a few days before we can get that floor consideration started. So those seven days that Jennifer was mentioning, I think, Jennifer, you said that the Senate piece was how many days for ARPA? It started on March 4th and ended on March 6th. So right. So that's three two, days, two, days right? two, three days. Yep. So let's say they get uh, you know, that birdbath done by Wednesday, maybe Thursday. We're still looking at it moving into, and that's if everything else goes perfectly. 
we're still looking at potentially a weekend or maybe even running into the early hours of early next week. Jennifer, is that your take as well? Or are you more optimistic that this can move quickly? No, I think the weekend is probably the best case scenario. Obviously, a lot of things could happen to derail it altogether or to slow it down. But I agree with Jen. I think best case scenario sometime over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, perhaps. And let's not forget the COVID issue. If we have a member that has COVID, although I will say I was looking this up, if there is any precedent in the event that there's a tight vote and you have a COVID positive member that is unavailable, last year there was a plexiglass box built for the House in order to allow a COVID positive member to vote. So maybe they bring out the box and they have any COVID positive senators go and vote from the plexiglass box. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. I think if they have to put them in a bubble suit, I think they find a way to get these senators in there to vote. I, I just can't imagine, especially for someone who's you know not particularly ill, I can't imagine a positive COVID test is going to kill this bill. I agree with that. They're going to find a way. They will find a way despite COVID. I mean, Senator Leahy's a different situation, but even then we have precedents, as you said, Jennifer, of getting senators to the floor in those circumstances. And you know, John, I think it's interesting to connect sort of the issue you were talking about, about can you take amendments out that pass with this issue of could we have maybe a senator who's not up for staying all night? And theoretically, as you point out, maybe you're missing a couple of Democratic senators and Republicans are able to pass a number of these amendments. Theoretically, they could just be stripped out again at the very end. And so while it would not be the ideal situation, theoretically, even if some amendments passed, they could come back out. Yeah, you're right. Schumer could basically say, have fun, Republicans. (laughs) Have fun with all your amendments all night. Go crazy. But we're going to bring our 50 back in at the end for the wraparound amendment and just take all that stuff out, right? Does anybody think, either one of you, that the Senate could say, well, can't finish it here in August. People need to get home. We'll pick it up again in September. Is that scenario plausible at all? I don't, I don't think that's possible. I don't think so either. That would be crazy. That would be reckless. <laughs> right. uh, leadership would not risk a bill that was just barely held together and released last week. Now it has momentum. You would not want to risk that slowing down or breaking down. No, I think the Senate's in town until this bill is either signed or dies for some reason. I think that's right. Like these complex, controversial, in some cases, bills, they don't get easier over time, right? We saw that with Build Back Better, right? It lost momentum the longer time went on. I think they know. Got to strike now while the iron's hot or maybe not at all. So we're all in agreement. It's going to be in the next week plus or probably not at all. Okay, well, guys, what a fascinating turn of events. And it's going to be a very interesting week. That's all we have time for this week. Thank you. In closing, As I said, we invited our Senate veterans, Jen and Jennifer, to the episode today to discuss what's next in the Senate. But of course, that neglects one other key step for the Inflation Reduction Act. The House will obviously need to pass the identical legislation for the bill to get the President Biden for signature. And that leaves the question of how will that happen and how hard will that be? Well, first, if you're wondering how the House can vote for the bill while they are on August recess. Recall that during COVID, the House implemented proxy voting. That's a process whereby members who are present have the proxy to vote for members who are not. At the time, proxy voting was first introduced during the darkest days of COVID. It seemed like a temporary solution to a temporary problem. But alas, here we are two years later, and it could make all the difference in the ability to get this bill to the president's desk in August, 
versus September, or maybe never. And finally, we spend so much time talking about the narrowly divided 50-50 Senate that we don't talk enough about the narrowly divided House. At the moment, Democrats can afford to have four, just four of their members vote no and still pass this bill. There's an election for an open seat on August 9th, and it's an election that Republicans are expected to win. And if that's true, once that new member is seated, then the margin for error shrinks to only three votes. That's narrow, almost historically narrow for the House. So we just shouldn't assume the House will rubber stamp this Senate bill. There will be a lot of disappointment about the skinny rabbit in the House. But at the same time, Speaker Pelosi has proven to us time and again that she's a master of getting just enough of her members to yes. And yeah, that likely includes the no salt, no dice crowd in the House. But as we say, the chances of anything happening are never 100%, but they're also never 0%. So this is just one more little drama to play out before we can close the book on what was once Build Back Better. August is usually a pretty sleepy time here in Washington, but August of 2022 is almost certainly to go down in the books is one of the most eventful on record. So don't look away, not just yet. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and your suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.